This episode of the podcast would not be possible without the support of our fantastic sponsor, Everyday Lines. Anyone in the Devonport area may be able to identify a tall, skinny, passionate bloke who you see running and riding absolutely everywhere. For those who don't know, that's champion runner and great bloke Brian Lyons. Brian's also a running coach and mentor and his Everyday Lions running coaching programs are inclusive and cater for all age groups from kids right up to retirees. Training sessions are held in different locations from the Devonport area to Burnie and you can choose from group training, 8, 12, 16 week or yearly programs. Whatever your goal is, Brian will help you smash it as many have with his proven coaching techniques. You can find Brian at Everyday Lions on Facebook, Instagram or at his website www.everydaylions.org. And while you're at it, look out for some of the fantastic events organised by Everyday Lions events, including Run Devonport, The Great Train Race, The Light Night Glow Run, and The Devonport Christmas Fun Run, just to name a few. We'll see you at the starting line. On today's episode of the pod, I had the privilege of speaking to a lady who's been through more in the last few years than some of us may go through in a lifetime, Bree Littlejohn. Bree joins the pod to go through her journey of being a young rebel in Tasmania to becoming one of our best female footballers. She opens up on her early years, including dealing with her parents' separation, finding herself through self-expression and sexuality, being married and divorced herself through to her challenges in recent years. This includes losing one of her best friends to suicide and the toll that this took, being in a toxic relationship and the effects that this had, motherhood, and almost losing her life bringing one of her children into this world. It was a pleasure to chat to Bree and her openness on how she got through these times and is now living her best life is truly inspirational and I'm sure it will help and inspire many others. Just a heads up, this one speaks about many issues which may trigger people, including self-harm, mental health, verbal and physical abuse, among other things. It comes with a language warning, but anyone who knows Bree would know that you wouldn't have her any other way. But just be mindful of if, when and where to listen. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Sonny. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I've got half an opportunity here. I'm going to take it this time. <laughs> <laughs> he sat there for two songs and he goes, he likes to shit up and then he left. When I die, I want everyone <laughs> to have shots and I want you to use my coffin as the bar. I collapsed and, and they couldn't find a heartbeat for a couple of minutes. I would give everything, anything that I've got right now to hear my mum sing again. I could just go into the house and fucking do it and no one would care, but people do care. He said, thank you for saving me life. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Oh, mate, it doesn't uh, get much bigger than this. <laughs> <laughs> Bree Littlejohn, welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. It's uh, It's been a while. I've known about your story for a little while and, um, you know, I, I was just sort of waiting for for the right time and um, I didn't want to sort of push it with you but I was really stoked when you actually reached out to me and said that you wanted to, to come on and, and tell your story because I know that you know you're in a really good place now but um, you'd been through a lot um, over the last couple of years or, or it might even be longer than that obviously we'll find out um, now but you know yeah. you've come out the other end now and I know that you want to tell your story to help other people so thank you very much for your time I really appreciate it. No thanks so much for allowing me to get my story out there. How's things up in sunny Queensland first? Well, it hasn't been too sunny lately, Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, it's good. It's really good. Life up here is, yeah, it's, it's good. It suits me. No, that's good. Well, I'm actually, I'm sitting here with a beanie on. I've got a hoodie on. I've got the heater cranking next to me. So um, yeah, I, I know where <laughs> I'd rather be at the moment. That's for sure. So mate, we'll get, um, we'll get stuck into your story. Obviously there's a, a fair bit to yeah. get through. Um, yeah. I'm really pumped to talk to you today, but um, we'll go back to the start as we always do. So you tell me you were born in ooze. Is that right? I was indeed born in Ooze, yes. That's what, in the middle so, of Tassie, isn't it? Uh, yeah, down south, like yep. in the middle of Wolf Yeah. And 
the understanding that I have, well, Dad was the local copper down there, and the understanding that I have is the hospital was part of the nursing home that was part of the doctor surgery that was just all one big place. So it's a one stop um, shop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember how long we were there for. I don't think we were there for long, and then um, yeah, we went everywhere. But yeah, no, born in little old ooze. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I've ever been back there either, to be honest. <laughs> Tell us about growing up then, mate. So you moved around a bit because your dad was a copper. Yeah. So I think I started school at um, Exeter Primary School. So we were living in Frankfurt when I started school. Um, And then we went to Devonport Primary and then we went to Sheffield Primary and then to La Trobe High. So, yeah, it was definitely moved around a bit and – I mean, I still have one really good friend from Devonport Primary, actually. I was actually cool. in her wedding and she was in my wedding. So awesome. out of out of all the moving that happened, I still managed to keep some relationships, I guess, which was yep. a good thing. How did you find yeah. it as a young person moving around and starting new schools? Obviously, you were the new kid pretty often. Was there any sort of nerves or anxiety? Can you remember that at all? Or? No, I can't really remember. I mean, I know... I had a lot of trouble being bullied as a kid because I was quite a pudding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, I don't know. I don't really remember that far back. And I suppose because Zane and I are so close in age as well. So we kind of had each other, like he was only a grade behind me. So we always had each other to fall back onto. You know, I've always been a very confident person and just like, yeah, whatever. So yeah, I think we were pretty cruisy. Yeah. Cool. Probably toughened you up a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Get you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, well that's it. So what what sort of kid were you? Like were you did you sort of play up a bit or were you sort of quiet, were you? Or? Uh, well I obviously I don't remember my my child like my primary years. Yep. Um, uh, but I know, yeah, definitely in high school I was definitely I definitely played up. I pushed yep. the boundaries as hard as I could. Yep. And I think dad being a police officer maybe made me rebel a bit more in the fact that um he was you know, you're not going out dressed like that. What if people, what will people think? Whereas I was like, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks, dad, you know? Um, and that was probably in the early stages. And I was obviously interested in piercings and tattoos and things like that at such an early age, like the black sheep of the family, I guess you could say. (laughs) Yeah. What was the attraction to that then? All the, the piercings and tattoos and that sort of thing. Were you sort of trying to find yourself or were you just sort of wanting to rebel a little bit? Yeah. Well, I guess in the early days it was just wanting to rebel a bit, but as the years went on, definitely I was trying to find myself or it was almost like whenever something went wrong in my life, it was my way of punishing myself, if that makes sense. Even though I was benefiting from it, it was that pain that hit that was, and it was actually dad that said that to me one day. Do you actually think that maybe because every time he was the one that noticed every time something happened or I mucked up, I'd be like, oh, look, I've got a new tattoo. I've got a new piercing. So, yeah. Yeah. So for yeah. you, it was it, it may have been like a little bit of the not, I know self-harm's probably a hard word, but I know like a lot of people do cut and do actually hurt themselves to to try and take away the pain, um, you know, from, pain. from work, working with kids that are, that are vulnerable. So you think it might have been something along those same lines, do you? Yeah. Just your way like, of dealing yeah. with it. Yeah, absolutely. But I know I don't regret, especially my tattoos. I don't regret any of my tattoos at all. Yeah. So I guess that's that's a good thing as well. And yeah. you, you said that you were quite sporty as a kid too. You got into a lot of different sports. 
Yeah, well, I danced from quite a young age um, yep. up until I'm not sure how old I was when I finished dancing, but I was it was late teens. Yep. Um, and then soccer, hockey, touch footy, um, all of those things through the school. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was never a netballer. That just never interested me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then and then I guess you kind of go through the. Well, some people go through the sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of scene before they, you know, and then everything kind of goes out the window and then you, I don't know, you ground yourself again, so to speak. Yep. And you're like, oh, what am I going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know um, obviously AFL and, and footy is a big part of your life now and it, and it has been for, for a number yeah. of years. But back then, I'm assuming that wasn't an option for you to play footy when you were a young kid? No, no, I don't think so. Like I remember going with Zane to Auskick and things like that, but I don't, yeah, I don't think the girls were really, really into it then. And I suppose, yeah, I wasn't, I mean, I was always at every game and yeah, watching right Zane and everything like that. And the same as he was always at every dance concert and, you yeah. know, so we always had each other's back that way. But yeah, footy just never really jumped out to me. Yep. Until yeah, it kind of became a thing for the women up the northwest coast. And so, from from talking to you there before, you said that your your mum and dad separated when you were eighteen. How did you? What do you remember about yeah. that time, and how did that affect you? It was actually quite a weird scenario. From what I remember, is I think Zane actually had um, state football in Hobart that weekend, yep. and we obviously knew that mum and dad hadn't been happy and, you know, you obviously pick up on those things like the fighting or this or that or this or that, the vibe, you can feel the vibe. And, um, yeah, and it was kind of like happened before we were going down to Hobart it was just mum, Zane and I, and maybe Nick Azartzinus was with us as well, yep. heading down. Um, yeah, and that kind of all went down. And I was actually doing year 12 at Launceston College at that time. Yep. And mum and dad's decided to stay in the house, um, the little Trobe police house next to the police station, <laughs> um, and try and, you know, just make things work but in separate rooms for a bit. And that's when I decided, okay, wow, well, do I continue out year 12 or do I quit school, go back and have whatever family time's left? Right, okay, yep. You know, so I did and that's what I did. I finished school and and then moved back up to La Trobe and yeah and then but that didn't last long and then that's when I went yeah no you know this is this isn't my place and but like I always continually said I guess it was hard to being 18 mum and dad both kind of felt I'm an adult they could tell me things they could talk to me and I was I remember saying you know what yes I am an adult but in this situation I'm still the child yeah yep they're still mum and dad I'm still yeah, I'm still the child in this whole situation. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, it was tough. And obviously it was really tough. It was more so tougher on Zane, I guess, because Zane was then the next man to step up into mum's life. Yep. So he he probably took it a lot harder than me. And I was just, um, yeah, you know, I was like, I've got a job. I was working. I had my car. I could go and visit mum. I could go and visit dad. And I just just got on with it as long as they were happy and they were both happy. That was that was what was important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that's why you moved back. So you could sort of sense that things were coming to an end. So you decided to come back to, was it, did you think that you were going to help try and rectify the situation or were you, as you say, were you just trying to get as much time with them together as you could before they separated? Yeah. Oh, well, no, they'd actually separated 
when I moved back. That oh, was my okay. reasoning. Yep. My yep. reasoning for moving back was because they decided to, you know, just live in the same house, I suppose, until mum found somewhere and all of that. So that was the last bit of family time we were ever going to get. So yep. I was like, I didn't want to miss out on that. So dealing with that emotional load then, and obviously they were, you know, talking to you and confiding in you about stuff. How did, did you do anything through that time to, to help yourself or did you find that it had an, a reaction on you? Maybe a few tattoos um, or? A few tattoos. I definitely partied Thursday, Friday, Saturday night every week. Yep. Um, and... But I was also working in the hospitality industry at the same time. So I landed a job. God, was it the, it would have been the Formby before it became the Central. Yep. Um, so I was in that scene. So it was like, knock off work. Let's just go get fucked up and, yep. you know, and then wait and see what tomorrow brings. Um, yep. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I mean, everybody deals with things differently. And I'm a very open person and I talk a lot. And sometimes I probably talk when people probably don't even want to hear, but I'll be like, <laughs> whether they want to hear it or not, they're going to listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So I guess, I mean, I did deal with it and it was a long time ago and um, I probably did have different coping mechanisms as well that I might not remember. Yep. I don't know, but yeah. Did so, you have people that you could confide in yourself? Did you have friends that you'd talk to about what you were going through or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like um, in saying when I, um, when I was living in Launceston, I was actually living with that same friend that I became friends with at Devonport Primary School all those years ago. Wow. So um, I was, yeah, I had Jess and my my family are amazing, like well, Auntie Dottie yeah. um, and Trishy and we're all, we're a very, very close family. So yeah. and that's shout out to Dot, thing. she'll listen to this. Yeah, you better, Dottie. She's a good egg, Dot. Don't worry about that. <laughs> she, oh, she sure is. So, yeah, and, like, Dottie's, she's my second mum. If I, if I have an issue and I can't get hold of mum, Dottie's the next person I call. Yep. <laughs> um, so just working through our timeline, mate, it was about 2009 that you got into football. Is that right? Was that ever something that you thought that you'd do or did that just happen by accident? Or Well, I kind of did. So, um a friend of a friend's wife had um, asked me to come along and have a kick. And um, I was like, Oh, okay. Radio. And I was actually talking to Summer about it this morning. Yep. And um, cause this was the first year that Sprayton actually got a side out, but yep. I didn't know about Sprayton. So I went to East Devonport and signed up mm-hmm. and then was like, no, no, it's the wrong club. You meant to be coming to Sprayton. And I was like, Oh fuck. Okay. And then when they said, <laughs> Summer Bissett's there, and I was just like, "What Summer Bissett?" I was, I don't know. It's just the word Bissett petrified me. And then Summer was a Bissett, and I was just like, "Oh, that freaked me out." Yeah. Um, and I was scared. I was scared of Summer Bissett. Soft as fucking cabbage. Look at her. <laughs> Not on the footy field. She's hard as a cat's head. <laughs> no, hard, yeah, that's it. Hard as nails on the footy field. But oh, yep. she's the softest boiled cabbage, and I couldn't she live is. my life without her. Now she's yep. one of my absolute favourites. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that's where it went, and I um ended up she was captain and I ended up as vice captain so um we were she was skip nip one and I was skip nip two and that's what yep. we called ourselves <laughs> yeah and you said you had a lot of fun off the field but you had a bit of success on the field too didn't you you had a pretty good side didn't you in those early days yeah we sure did like we made it all well we were I think Sprayton what were we we must have been 2009 to 2012 and then they yep. went to Devonport yeah. Um. And we made it to the premiership all three years, and yep. we lost three years in a row to Clarence. Yeah. 
three years in a row to the same team. So yeah. I guess by the third time they were they were in our heads. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, no, I mean, great bunch of chicks, and definitely without a doubt, one of the best things I've ever done with my life because the relationships that were formed were absolutely amazing, and they still are amazing. Yeah. Well, you were thick as Serge. You were probably more notorious for your after parties and things that you'd get up to yeah. after games and your players' trips and things like that. Nobody really knew what the score was on a Saturday, but nobody <laughs> knew what you got up to afterwards. I'm sure you got a lot of stories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we were, um, yeah, we were pretty crazy. Have you got any other stories yeah. just quickly about that time, mate, you can share with us, or are they all oh, got to be people? Oh, oh, no, they're pretty, they're all. Oh, there's so many. Like, yeah, no, but we were, there was a lot of, um, uh, oh, and then when we were planking was a big thing that was out then too when we were about. Yeah. I remember how people were doing the plank. So, yeah, we did lots of crazy shit like that. Always had a player's trip, yeah. um, lots of drinking. Yeah, it was, yeah, there's, yeah. there's lots of stories, but yeah, my, you know, what happens after footy stays after footy. That'd be a good thing. <laughs> in case your parents yeah. are listening in. <laughs> And you were a pretty handy footballer too, weren't you, mate? Like, um, I know you, you might not pump your own tyres up, but you represented Tassie, didn't you? Yeah. you actually, yeah, you made, it, you made it a fair way with your football. Yeah. 2011, yeah, we put the first ever women's state side away. Um, yep. And, yeah, and there was actually, there was eight of us from Sprayton that made the side and the yep. coach. Uh, so Chris Matthews was our coach at the time and uh, he was assistant coach of the state side as well. So there was yep. a fair chunk of us that, yeah, that made it. So that was um, pretty special. And um, like I said to you, I'm not 100% sure, but I may say 95% sure that Zane and I are the only brother and sister in Tassie to both represent, both wear the map for Aussie rules. So yeah. pretty fair accomplishment, pretty, isn't it? Yeah, mum's pretty proud of that one too. I reckon. <laughs> you reckon back when he was starting his footy, when you were watching him, there'd ever be a time that that might have been a a likely scenario that you'd be playing footy for Tasmania no. as well? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like I nearly fell over when yeah. I made it. Like I was just happy to make it to the tryouts and the extra trainings and stuff like that. And then when I got the call up and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> serious? Yeah. So you obviously took, <laughs> yeah. took to the game pretty well. Did you play it? Like I know you couldn't have played it as in organised um, rosters when you were a kid, but did you used to have a kick of the footy? Is it something that came naturally to you or did you just pick it up really quick? Or I just picked it up. I'm sure I would have done, you know, backyard kicks with Zane and all yep. of that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, no, I just I – like, I was very competitive with my soccer in the early days, like yep. represented Northwest with my soccer and things like that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know if it was just that – yeah, or and just watching Zane play over the years, and just and obviously we watched it on television every weekend religiously as well. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, before prior to just stepping out, and I think too the fact that, um, like that some girls had played before, but being a whole new club, there's no, I think it just makes everybody confident because we all we're kind of starting out. Everything was new. We we're all learning. We we're all learning about each other. We we're yeah. all learning about the game. We we're all learning about our coach. So there was no intimidation or anything like that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah no sort of preconceived kind of, ideas. You were just learning on the run, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. What sort, of, what sort of player were you? How would you describe yourself? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, um, one of my 
one of my favorite things definitely is getting the knock on. Like if I see somebody like I'm, I'm coming for you. Um, That's probably one of my favorite things. And one of the things that I probably say I do well, like. So you're pretty physical. um, Yeah. 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 Um, And that's one thing like I'm playing this year for the first time. Oh, I've been retired for seven years. I'm playing this year with the Caloundra Panthers. And yeah, that's what they like. Yeah. You just, just, pretty hard and I was like yeah cheers <laughs> <laughs> you never forget that side of it <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah. it but yeah so and I mean one good thing really that really worked well with Sprayton was um though it was normally summer Sarah Holland myself and Chantel Graham in the guts and we just we just learned how to read each other and we just knew what was going to happen yeah and that was yeah it just worked well yeah just having that but continuity yeah. it works in any team doesn't it if you can yeah you Absolutely. become predictable to yep. each other that's exactly right yeah yeah and so obviously afl or footy has been a big part of your life you're playing again now how long do you reckon you can go on for oh i don't know <laughs> my <laughs> fitness is a, fitness is a big thing at the moment obviously yeah. i'm 37 years old i've had two children i don't have time to you know, just go for a run. And then if I do go for a run, I have to push two kids in a pram and I can't go without the dog. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, um, arms get a workout so too. Yeah, that's it. So it's yeah. all proving to be a little bit difficult. But then, like like I said to the girls the other day, I said match day fitness is a completely different fitness to being fit. Mm, yep. Um, so it's just I'm just going to have to sit pretty, work with it, keep working as best I can off the track. And just hope that maybe by the time I'm 40, I'm match fit. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, another part of your story, you also married young through that time and separated young, didn't you? Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that time? Dicko, Paul Dixon. Yep. Absolute legend of a bloke. Yep. Absolute legend. Um. So, yeah, we met, I think I was only 18 when we met. Yeah, I would have been. And then we travelled to Europe or to Frimley. Yep. So he could, he went and played cricket. Um, we did that three times. Yeah, married young. And listen, I won't lie, I mucked up um, within our relationship. But uh, we still talk. Well, we don't so much now that we haven't got our puppy dog together. But yep. we lost Grimley last year. Um, but still, we still chatted for her, video called. Every time I went home, I'd see him because I'd get Frimley. Um, But over the years, like, when we talk, and I think he probably realised – we were living his, his dream. We were living his life. Um, and at the beginning, I didn't have a problem with that. But, you know, it was like I was always at the cricket club with the boys on a Saturday night, the only chick, talking about this, that. Oh, I shagged this one. I shagged that one. Oh, yeah, give me a high five, you know. Yeah. And I was always – but then when it came time to like, go and have a barbecue with my mates, he wasn't comfortable in doing that. So I guess we kind of – yeah, we shifted apart. And I guess – We'd done everything so quickly. We we bought a house and we renovated and then we built a house and we travelled and I guess that's what I thought I wanted in life. Yep. But I don't it it ended up not being that kind of thing, if that yep. makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So but that I still quite a bit into the short time. Yeah, yeah, we really did. We yep. really did. So but at that stage in my life, it's what I wanted. But maybe we just rush into everything too quick, if that, so to speak. Yeah, is that one of the big learnings that you take from it? Because as I say, it's quite oh. a bit to go through at a at a young age, going through a separation and and that sort of thing. So absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? So I was maybe twenty five when we separated. Yep. 
uh, what now, 12 years on, every man that I've been with since Sticko has a complete fucking waste of my time. Yep. And that's, I need, I need to focus on finding another Dicko, so to speak, because he is a genuinely amazing guy. Yeah, like, he's and he's a legend. And I'm so happy now that, um, that's what I said to him when him and Grace got married and I sent him a message. I was like, I'm so happy. You're so happy. Congratulations. I didn't know if it's weird if I comment on your Facebook <laughs> post or not, but <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that's like I said to him, I said, you know, like you look, we were meant to go through that chapter together. Because now you look, he's got Grace, they've had Bobby. I've obviously been through the shit, but I've got my two beautiful children. And yeah. that was, we were meant to go through that, that chapter together to get to where we are now. Yeah. Individually. Awesome. Another part of your story that, um, that we'd spoken about before, and this is new ground for me, so I'm probably going to fumble my way through this quite a bit. But you, you, in your words, you jumped the fence for six months. Hmm. I did, yes. Now I'm probably I'm going to shut up and let you talk about that time because, as I say, that's new ground for me. So tell us about that time in your life. Um, so that was after obviously after Dicko and I had split up. Yep. And I and obviously football, everything like that. And I guess that's when I, after that, is when I kind of realised, um, I am just searching for answers. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to fill the hole or the void that I have, but I don't know what I'm, what I need to fill it with, so to speak. Um, and I'm definitely, I'm the kind of person I can't die not knowing, you know, like you only live once, we only get one chance at life. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely a short lived thing, but I think at the time it, it, again, it was what I needed. It was what I wanted. Yeah. Um. It didn't last long, and it's never happened again. And yep. yeah. So it's just, it was just the beginning of me after everything that happened with Dicko, trying to work out where the hell I'm heading and what the hell I want out of life. Yeah. So do you think? Yeah. That, did you did you learn through that experience though that that's not how you're sexually oriented, or is it still something that could potentially pop up again in the future? Or yeah. No, no, it won't pop up again. I know. I don't think so. Like I have absolutely nothing against it whatsoever. Um, and I've got so many, so many amazing people in my life that are gay. Um, yep. but it just, yeah, like I said, it was just an experiment thing for me and just to, yeah, I yep. guess, you know, everyone, we experiment in life with lots of different things, don't we? And that was just, that was just, you know, another one to tick off the list, I guess. Yeah. So this this might yeah. seem like a really stupid question, but is it is it something that it's not something that was always bubbling underneath the surface for you? Was it more something that you just wanted no. to experiment and try? You made a decision to actually see how this goes. I think um, it was the person, so to speak. I was attracted to the person at that time in my life. We connected, and then it kind of just went from one level to okay. the next. Yeah, yeah. So it was just that person because we were great friends at the time. She played football down south. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it was just that person. Like, she was a beautiful person. And, yeah, I think that time we just clicked and, yeah, that's kind of where it went. But, no, it definitely not not, not my my favourite, you know. Definitely I prefer guys. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yep. But sometimes yep. you've got to go through that to learn that, don't you? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. After that, then you actually moved away to Bunbury for a while in WA. Is that right? 
Yes, um, that was um, another stupid decision. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. I shouldn't say that. That was with a guy. I moved there with a guy, um, and I met some amazing people over there. Again, you know, everything happens for a reason. The relationship didn't work. I'm. I think he might have even moved back home because he was from Tassie as well. He yep. might have even moved back before me. Yep. Um, and I said over there, I landed a great job. Um, and yeah, and met some great people, and then moved home again. Um, I, I can't remember how long I was there for. I wasn't there that long. Um, maybe eight months. I don't yep. know. But yeah, so that was just another chapter, I guess. Yep. yep. So and then yeah. you moved back, and then you decided to move to Queensland, didn't you? After a- another year or so is that right yeah yep. um so i was i was working two jobs and everyone was like why are you working two jobs i'm like i don't know like i was doing childcare through the day and they're working at molly malone's of a night time and i was i was driving myself into the ground but i just i guess it kept me busy it kept me out of trouble yeah i was working um and then again moved um i met a guy and he was like oh i'm moving to queensland you should come and i was like you know what why the hell not? I've got Why nothing. Not? Yeah. So I just packed up my car and got in the car and drove up with a mate. And then, um, again, that did, that went pear shaped, the relationship. And, um, I have my mum up the sunny coast and then my best mate, um, down on the gold coast. And they were like, come live here, come live here, come live here. And I was like, no, you know what? I fucked up way too many times. This is, if I'm going to stay here, I'm going to do it by myself. Yep. I'm going to make it happen by myself. So I'm going to stay in Brisbane and you're only an hour away. You're only an hour away, but I need to do this myself because this yep. is my time to just try and work out what it is the hell I want in my life and go from there. So yep. that's yep. what I did. And well, we're into my ninth year and I haven't looked back. Yeah. So you're always, you're always yeah. pretty fiercely independent by the sound of things. It sounds like that's when you really cemented that. Yeah, Absolutely. How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads and pretty much everything else and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. So um, after you, a, a while after you'd been up in Queensland, um, you said you lost your best friend to suicide in 2017. Can you tell us about that time? Yes. Wow. Um, that was a horrible, horrible time. Um, the, she was obviously down in Tassie um, and it was a really, so she was gay um, and she was with a girl this is the third time that they got back together. And this is something that I have to live with for the rest of my life. I actually said to her when they, she didn't actually tell me that they were back together, but I could tell from the way that she was, she was, I could tell that they were back together. And I actually said to her, I said, she will put you six feet under this time. She will. And she did. Um, So when I got the phone call, 
I was actually on a bender um, and I was um, so obviously took it a lot harder because I was spaced out as it was, so to speak. Um, And, but I was, yeah, on the next plane I could possibly get on to get home. Um, And it took everything that I had um, to go and see the girlfriend. Um, Not because I wanted to, but because I know that that's what Kel would have wanted um, to try and just, yeah, I don't know. So it was a really, really, really tough time. I think I was fine for about a month. Um, I stayed with Summer through that time. And, um, yeah, we had to wait a while to lay her to rest because her family were in Europe. So we had to wait for them to get get over. And we actually put a big fundraiser together um, at La Trobe Footy Club and we basically paid paid for the funeral um, with yep. all the money we raised and um, everything like that. And um, yeah, so it was a really really hard time. And then it was um, it wasn't until obviously I came home and I wasn't around the people that knew her like I did because she was a Tassie girl and I was kind of like people knew her but not yeah not not like I did. And it was. And everybody else is trying to deal with what's happened their own way. They don't need me continuously needing to talk about it as well because yep. everybody copes with things differently. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I got into a really, really bad place and um, I was just, I wasn't angry. I was just sad and hurt um, as to why she couldn't talk to me about why she did what she did. So you didn't um, have any, any any inkling that it was going to happen? There were no warning signs? or Not at that time. Yep. The time when I look back at it, um, I went, so she did this in the July. I was home in the May and I went and had a psychic reading done in the May. I, I have a reading done most years. Yep. And I went and had a reading done and the psychic said to me, Kel, no, stay away. Yep. So when I look back at it now, she knew she could see that it was going to happen, but she didn't want me to to intervene or I don't know, or because they can't tell you this person's going to do this or this mm. person's going to die. Yeah. Um. So now when I look back, that's what she saw when she yep. saw Kel. Um. Yeah. So it was really really tough, and like I said, yeah. Then I got home and I got into a place where. Um, I remember I had amazing support people around me throughout the whole process, even when I came home, um, everything, I like came back to Queensland um, and everything like that. And then I remember one day, it was a Sunday, and I was like, I have to go do groceries. And I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I just couldn't go and do the groceries. And I was just like, I was anxious. I was so anxious about going and doing the groceries. And I remember telling myself, the only person that you have to speak to is the lady at the register. But you don't yep. even have to talk to her if you don't want to. Sometimes they don't even say boo to you. It's okay. Yep. It's, all you have to do is just go to the supermarket. And it took me all day to team myself up to do it. And then I went and then I had a panic attack. And yep. I just left my trolley and walked out and was like, and I've never had anything like that before. Yeah. Came home, called mum. Mum and Stu came straight down with a bottle of wine and a pizza. And we had a big chat and I broke down and obviously – you know, did all of that. And then I went to the doctors 
And they were like, oh, well, you're depressed. And I was like, well, no fucking shit, Sherlock. I've just mm-hmm. lost my best friend to suicide because I'm depressed. She's like, oh, well, I want to give you some pills. And that's when I went, whoa, no, no. I don't need pills to fix this. I need to fix this. I need to pull myself out of this rut. I need to pull my head out of the gutter. And I just need to, this is, Kel wouldn't want me to be like this. This isn't what, she didn't do this for me to be like this. I need to just get on with it. And that's when I threw myself into gym hard out and um, just changed my whole life. The way I did things, the way I thought about things, just tried to make everything positive and, um, yeah, and just talk to her a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, and that was that was when, and I promised myself when I lost her, I will never, ever, ever cry over another man again, and I yeah. haven't. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, so, though, you say, dealing through that time. So obviously you decided not to go down the the medical path. So you're a firm believer that you can pull yourself out of those ruts without the help of medication. You can actually do it yourself. I'm not a firm believer. I'm just a positive person. Like, and that's why, and Kel was too. She was such a positive, happy, bright, bubbly person. And she obviously had a lot of trauma in her life and she put a lot of thought into the way that she took her own life. So she, she was ready. That's, there was no, it wasn't a split decision for her. There was, it was what she wanted. Um, so I just, I needed to just be, yeah, I just needed, I'm just a positive person. And even now, like if somebody's down and, you know, and I'll just be like, well, try and look at it from this perspective or just try and pull a positive from it. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. So it was definitely, but that was, yeah, I promised myself I would never, ever cry over another guy because nothing could hurt me as much as losing her. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So, and still now, like, it took me, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody has their beliefs and reasons. And But I'm just, like I said, a big believer in having a reading. It took me three years to have a reading after I lost her because I was, I was obviously going through the emotions. I was angry. I was upset. I was hurt. I didn't want to say something if she did come through. I knew she'd come through. I didn't want to say something that was going to upset her because if it was the last time I got to talk to her, I didn't want to say anything. So I waited three years and when I finally went and had one and it was like, it was the best thing I did. Like I walked out of there and felt like we'd just been at the pub having lunch, having a few beers and I've been, a comp- I've dealt with the whole thing a lot better since that. Yeah. So you, yeah. She, so I, I haven't um, sort of delved into that side of things, but she did come through. You were able to speak to her. Is she that did. Right? She did. Yeah. yeah. So the lady said to me, um, a lot of the time, the older ones come through and the young ones will sit back until the older ones are finished. My nan and my pop and all of that came through. And then Kel was sitting there in the background and um, we used to call each other cunt senior and cunt junior. Mm. Um, they were our word. We've got both got them tattooed on the inside of our lips. Yep. And um, um, I, she looked at me and she's like, are you waiting for somebody else? And I was like, oh, is Gower there? And she's looked at me and I went, Kel? And she goes, She's using very colourful language. And I was like, yep, <laughs> that's my girl. <laughs> yep, that's unreal. Um, yeah, no yeah. doubt, man. So as soon as she said that, I was just like, yep, that's her without a doubt. Um, yeah. yeah, and she spoke a lot about a lot of things that only Kel and I knew about. So I was like, this lady definitely knows, 
she's not making shit up because there was stuff that only Kel and I knew about. Um, yeah. yeah, and, you know, she told me that she regretted what she did, but she's where she wants to be. Yeah. So she didn't realise it was going to have... It does, yeah, it does. I mean, as much as I miss her, oh, yeah. I, and I'd give anything just to be able to hug her and, you know, have a drink with her and talk to her every day like we used to. But I just have to accept that, you know, nobody else did this. She chose to do this. She knew that she had people that would help her 100% if she needed it. So it's, yeah, it's what she wanted. Yeah. 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 Um, I know you said there before, obviously you, you made a pact with yourself that you wouldn't cry over a, another man. I know that within that year as well, um, you met your now ex-partner, which sort of led to uh, probably <sighs> probably the hardest. Well, you, you can tell me, but it sounds like a pretty hard time in your life. So do you want to take it up from there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was in the December and, um, so to speak, I was love bombed hard. Um, meaning he, um, he made a picture to be the person that I wanted in my life and that I needed in my life. Um, and it all moved really, really fast. And again, was this me trying to find what I was missing again? Was this me? I've worked so hard to work on myself after losing Gower okay, am I where I need to be? Is this the next step? You know, things like that. Like, so I, I was blinded as well. Like there was so, so, so many red flags flying about. Um, and I just went, eh, whatever, yep. <laughs> where I should have gone, fuck, get out of here. Um, I fell pregnant very, very quickly. Yep. Um, and that's, <clears throat> I'd always, always, always wanted to be a mother, right or wrong. Yep. Um, a few years well before losing Kel, I had actually been to the doctors and was going to, I was going to do it by myself. I don't need a man for anything. I can do yep. this by myself, yep. you know? Um, and I'd been to the doctor to talk about the process and everything like that. And, um, yeah. And then I fell pregnant and, but that was everything that I'd always wanted, I guess. And I fell pregnant so quickly. Yep. The pregnancy was so cruisy. Um, and yeah, but then throughout that, I worked full time managing my juice bar in the summer, fat, swollen, sweaty, cranky. And I was coming home and I was still having to drag the wheelie bins up a hill to put them at the front yard so that they would get collected the next day. Um, I'd still have to come home and cook dinner. And I was like, dude, I'm working overtime here. Like I am working a full time job managing. So mentally, it's draining as well. Plus I'm cooking our daughter. Like you've got to fucking help me out a bit. Like how is this even fair? Yeah. Um, And it was, yeah, it was so hard. And then um, just, what would you say? So he's a narcissist. Um, So can you just explain what a narcissist is for people that are listening that haven't sort of dealt with them before? Yeah. There's, um, they're very selfish. They have no empathy. They are, manipulative they are they're just horrible they're monsters they are absolute monsters um so basically every day I was no I should say so when we finally moved in together that's when he's changed that's when he clicked he was like I've got her now we live together she's got nowhere else to go before that I had my own house I was living with a friend I was in charge 
Then we moved in and I moved out to Ipswich towards him and his family because he also has two children from a previous relationship. And that's when, yeah, that's when things changed and then I fell pregnant. Um, But, yeah, they are, they're so selfish. They, you know, he tries to block my family, my friends. Um, He never had the financial control because I was, I'm very anal with that. (laughs) I was like, I need to be in charge of my finances and things like that. Um, But yeah, like, and if he, if I didn't bite, like if he was having a dig at me about something and I didn't bite, he'd be like, oh, your mother likes your brother. Yes. Your brother more than you. And they don't even care about you. They don't even come and visit little things like that. Like to try, try and make you question your family. Like that's just an example. Like he would say something to me. So then I'd go to bed thinking, oh, my God, is he right? Knowing well and truly he's completely not right, but they're the kind of things that that narcissists do. Yeah, just play with Um, your mind. Play with your mind, like mental abuse, mental abuse day in and day out. And then um, then then I had Rivy and um, she – Everything was perfect there, like as in she was perfect. She's the most cruisiest little bub. Everything was great. I love being a mum. Yeah. I like she was born on the Thursday. Where it was she was born by a cesarean. Born on the Thursday. We were home by the Saturday. And then come Monday, I was like, everybody just needs to leave me alone now. Like everybody just go and let yep. me get on with life. Let me get this routine happening. Mum, you can go home. Everyone just leave me alone. It's time for me to bond with my baby and just work motherhood out. Yeah. Um, and then you know, I would get, you're a fucking shit mum. You can't even do this. You can't even do that. Like, how do you call yourself a mother? Ra 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 ra. And I'd be like, what? Like, what, <laughs> what are you even talking about? Like, that's, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I had to deal with. Um, and you said that these red flags and things sort of were coming up before you, you had your baby. Did you have any concerns about bringing Bub into that scenario? Or did oh. you, were you just hoping that things would change or? I obviously I had I painted all pictures in my mind through that process. Obviously, with pregnancy hormones as well, you can imagine I was <laughs> um, all yep. over the show. But um, yeah, like I did, I pictured that. Um, you know, is it bringing her into this world and around this person? And because I'd seen the way that he treats and speaks to his older two children, because we obviously had them every second weekend when we were together, and. I'd be like, dude, it's not okay to talk to kids like that. Like it's just so now, especially I know that my children are going to have to go through that, but I will do everything in my power to be able to help them through that process because I know what they're going to go through. Um, And, yeah, and I just feel, and that's, I'm, I'm a sucker because I'm too kind because I don't want to take my children away from their father, yeah. but I don't want to be the person either that is making him out to be the bad person when he, even though he is the bad person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I was trying so hard to get out. Um, so, so this was after the first family. bub you were trying to get out. This was, this was after Riv. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was trying so hard again, went back to work full time, had River was also studying and, you know, coming home and doing everything. So if you look back now, how would you say that your your mental and emotional state was? I never, ever showed him any emotion. I never let him see that. Um, 
I, you know, there might be some times where I just get in the shower and I just, yeah, it's not that I was upset or that I was hurt. I was just exhausted from the bullshit, from the shit that I had to listen to over and over again and just feel like I would just, I was just, it's exhausting. It's, it, that's so to speak, it's draining. Yeah. It just, it just takes everything out of you. Yeah. Um, you know, and things like, um, but yeah, like my mental state, I think because like I said, when I lost Kel, nothing can break me. Nothing that broke me, losing her broke me. And I pulled myself out of that. Nothing will break me again. Yeah. I will work through this. And like I said, I'm so lucky I have an amazing family and support group around me. Mum and dad were on par. Dottie was on par. They knew that I wasn't happy. They knew that I wanted to get out. And they were helping financially where they could because financially in a domestic violence relationship, finance, financially it's the hardest thing is to get out because of money, yeah. especially when you're a female. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a mother at home with the children and he's out earning the money, you know, you've got nothing. Yeah. And then you go on single parent before you leave and you're lying to the system. Yeah. You know, so it's just like this big, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and then um, Fox, yeah, Fox was basically conceived by um, sexual coercion. So I, I didn't want to have sex with him. I, I hated him. I hated him. And he, we the hated love each other. Well truly gone. Yeah, yep. absolutely, 100%. And I said that to him. I said, I'm not attracted to you anymore, not because you've let yourself go, but because of the way you have abused, mentally abused me over the years. I said, it's just, it's gone. I said, I hate you. I hate you. Um, but then he just thought that was me, you know, being just trying to tick him off so we could have an argument. Um, yeah, so then I didn't want to have sex with him. I just let him do it and then... I didn't think I'd fall pregnant um, and I did. And then I was absolutely gobsmacked when I found out I was pregnant. Absolutely. Like I just sat there and just, I wasn't excited. I wasn't, I didn't know what to feel because I hated this man. I didn't want to be in a relationship with this man yet. I was pregnant again to this man. Yeah. Um, and then I obviously rang mum. Well, ring mum. <laughs> yeah. Ring mum. Good old mum. Spoke to her. Yeah. Spoke to her about it. And um, I'd always said, I don't think I could end a life. I just don't think I could abort. And uh, that's what I, I kept telling myself. I'm not going to be with this man. I am leaving this man. I'm going to have this baby. And my river is going to have somebody to grow up with. And then yep. when she has to go to his house, they're going to have each other to go yep. together. They're going to have each other. If something happens to me, they are going to have each other. So even though you've gone through a pretty awful ordeal, you were straight away being pragmatic about it and sort of looking at the positives and trying to move forward with it. Yep. Yep. That's it. And I wouldn't change him for the world. Like he's the most perfect little dude. And when he looks at me and I just think you are meant to be here, you are meant to be in this world and you are meant to be here with me and your sister. I just, just wrote that down. Actually. I thought even though it was such such an awful thing for you to go through, do you look back now with regret of how it actually turned out, or you think that everything happens for a reason, or that's probably everything a bad choice of words? But but no, absolutely, everything happens for a reason. I think back now and I think, wow, I should have just gone and done it by myself, like I said I was going to, gone to the sperm bank. I should have just done that yep. because then I wouldn't have to deal with this person 
until the children are 18 or until they figure him out for themselves. But at that same time, I keep telling myself, but this is going to help shape them as humans as well. Yeah. They are going to know right from wrong um, by living, by having this this person in their life, so to speak. Yeah. So I know that, yes. um, and, and we'll talk about um, when Fox was born, because obviously that was a, another um, thing that you had to endure. But before that, um, you did go through a time where the police were called to your home, weren't they? And you definitely made the decision in your mind that you were getting out, weren't you? Can you tell us about what happened, what so, led to that? Yes. So this is this is what it is. This is how stupid and selfish and just dumb these people are. I'd been to my best friend's baby shower the weekend before. Oh, no. So, no, we called the police on the Monday, on the Saturday, down at the Gold Coast. And there was a girl at the baby shower called Peter. And I ended up, I stayed the night down there with my best friend to go through all their presents and because it was her first child. And she was like, we stay and go through the presents. Rah, rah, rah. So, anyway, and then mum stayed with me. Mum actually took the Monday and Tuesday off work because we were going to set some motions in place. We were actually going to contact DVAC um, and domestic violence, uh, all the domestic violence organisations and work out where we go from here, what we do. I want to get out. I don't want to be with this person. How do I do it? Um, And it was actually, I had to work on the Monday night. So I was four months pregnant with Fox, worked on the Monday night. Mum was bathing river. I came home and he started yelling at me about Peter. Who's Peter? I was like, Peter is a lady from the baby shower. No girl's called Peter. I said, dude, why would a dude be at a baby shower? Like, and this is how it started. And mm-hmm. he, I knelt down and was bathing river and then he came at me and he was right in my face and mum said, that is not okay because mum was obviously in the bathroom too. And then it was mum that called the cops and she took him, out, took him outside and he said, how can you speak to me like this in front of my daughter? Well, how can you speak like this to your pregnant partner in front of your daughter? Like. How do you think that's okay? What makes you any better? Yep. Well, let's take it outside, mum said. And she called the cops and, yeah, and that was it. And um, I was like, oh, um, because I obviously could never call the cops because if I picked my phone up, it would get taken out of my hand and smashed or something like that or hidden. My car keys had been thrown before when we've had arguments. I said, dude, Somebody just needs to leave for five minutes. I'm not leaving. I'm just getting in the car. I'm going to drive around the block 10 times and I'm going to come back. So and he's well thrown and my car controlled. keys. Yeah. Throwing my car keys at night time so I can't see them. So I don't know. I can't get into my car. He's come out my car with an angle grinder before. Yeah. So, yeah, things like that. Like, yeah. And when I did the police statement um, and I said to the police officer, I said, he's like, are you worried are you concerned for your safety I said I'm not at all worried that he's physically going to hurt me I said but after the the years of mental abuse that he has endured on me I said I'm scared I'm going to hurt him right yep I said if if he's yelling at me and there was a hammer sitting there I said I could pick it up and hit him on the head yep but then what happens then I'm the bad person because I've reacted this one time I then become the bad person and I get my children taken off me and I end up in jail yep you know, so, and that's when I was, and I, was, and I openly said that. That's in my police statement, in the police report. Like, yeah. I don't hold back. Yeah. Um, and then, but that's, that's where I was at. Like, I was that angry, all the stuff that he'd built up in me over the years. I was, 
Yeah, I was at Hammer Point, yep. so to speak. This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. If you're like me and normally need these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. He knows his stuff. Located at 6 Bay Drive, Coiba, or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram or contact Sam at 0429 291 008 or you can email Sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fierce dressing down from the better half. So in between that yeah. time and then when, when Fox was born, how were those days and, and months and things? Like I'm assuming he didn't just wander off into the sunset and you never heard from him again. I'm assuming you mm, got a bit of backlash. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, I, and I, honestly, up until maybe oh, a month ago, a month ago on Sunday, I've still copped it. Um, and, yeah, everything, like if he doesn't get his way, um, and obviously, like, I needed to work through this process. I needed to work out what happens here. Like, I still want his children to be in his life, but um, I don't want him in my space. I don't want, you know, so I had to navigate through all of it. Um, I had counselling appointments um, with domestic violence, one of the DV places, and then I had a social worker from domestic violence action, Um so I was having counselling sessions every Monday, just basically just to let it all off my chest, but not it not have to be family. So yep. they didn't have to keep listening because it's hard. It is hard. Like I personally didn't feel like I needed to talk to anybody, but I also understand how important it is to talk to somebody that's not involved with the situation. Yep. Um, yeah. So they gave me some coping mechanisms with the way that he is and the way that he speaks to me and um things like that. Like there's been times where I haven't answered his phone calls and I've had 48 text messages and 63 phone calls in the space of an hour. Yep. Because I'm not answering him. And just because he just wants to have a dig at somebody like that's, Oh yeah, it's hard. And it, it breaks my heart that my children have to see this in a person, yep. um, especially their father. And because I know the things that he's going to say to them, about me because I've seen what he said about the mother of his other children to his children. Um, yeah, they're definitely, um, they're not nice people to deal with. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned is domestic violence isn't just hitting somebody. It comes on, it's a broad, broad spectrum. Yeah, and yeah. even the text messages that he sends me, he could go to jail for years with the text messages that I have on file for him. Yeah. Like, Yes. For anyone that, that's listening to this that might be going through something similar, what, what advice would you give to someone or what advice would you give to yourself if you look back on that time now? What what would you suggest that they do? Reach out. Reach out to the sites um, and organisations because, honestly, I wish I had done it sooner. They were amazing um, and they will financially help you. They will They will get you out. They'll put you in a safe place. They'll do... If you um, are like in not mentally able to just function and, you know, do right things or they do it all for you. Like I was just like my social worker, Annie, I just, I still just love her. Like I'm just like, I, 
she's just become such a big part of this. And I mean, I know it's her job, but I just feel like um, the connection that we had and the way that she just helped me through, it was just like so cruisy. And like they, if you, if you're feeling unsafe, they have safety ways to work around things. Like, um, so like I'd get a text message, are you okay to talk? Um, or, and if I didn't reply within five minutes, they'd call. Um, or if I did reply and said, no, not at the moment, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Do you know what I mean? They know. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and then if I didn't answer when they called, then they take the next steps yep. because they know that I'm in a harmful situation, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I definitely pick your people. Talk if you can. Never, ever, ever be afraid to talk. You're not alone. And, you know, one thing I said to myself the other day, I looked at a photo of me from a year ago compared to how I look now, and I was like, you know, we're all guilty of judging people. When we see people down the street, like, for example, oh, look at that rat. Oh, my God, what's she even doing out of her house in her pyjamas? We do not know that lady's story. Yeah. We do not know that she is not being so controlled at home that she was only allowed out of the house in her pajamas. Do you know yep. what I mean? Yeah. Like I look at a photo of me a year ago and I look like freaking shit. I yep. don't look like me. Um, and that was just because I was just so, yeah, like whatever. Like yep. I, you, you do, you stop caring about yourself because you're just too tired to just function some days. Yeah. So the main key, yeah. key things would be to reach out to the right people and there's definitely reach support out. there for people. Oh, Absolutely, 100%. And, I mean, you know, do you look at all the, since COVID with all the domestic violence stuff going around and, you know, and there's even that grant at the moment that you can apply for. Um, yep. I think it's a $5,000 domestic violence grant, um, which is all done privately. Like, you, I think you get, um, I think they give you $1,000 cash basically to get you out and then they keep the rest for your bond and anything that you need to get into a house awesome. if you need to break free completely. Yep. Yeah. So you think that's the, I know you said with you, but is that the main reason that you think people don't get out of these situations? It's because of finances? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It is, it's hard. Like you think, you know, um, and especially like my situation, like this, everything was in my name. Everything. Absolutely everything because he had a shocking credit rating. So I was trapped. So I had to work out how I was going to do this. So I, I sorted it all out and now I'm finally like getting in front. You know, I'm going to have my car paid off by August, little things like that. Like it's been yeah. hard and I've had to budget every dollar to the T, but yeah. we've got through it. My kids are happy. We're happy. We're healthy. We don't go without. We just have to minimize what we want to do, little things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, so, but definitely finance it's a big, it's a big strain. It really is. It's yeah. yeah. And especially when there's children involved, it's just, yeah, makes it that much harder. Up until this point, you'd been through a a hell of a lot in your life and you were probably thinking, you know, I've I've broken away, looking forward to to having this little boy. Obviously there was more to come. So tell us about when Fox was born. So it's actually just before he was born, maybe a month before he was born, and I just had this awful, I woke up and I was just like, <gasps> and I messaged mom and I said, everything's okay, but can you call me as soon as you're up? And she called me and she's like, what's wrong? I said, I've just had this horrible, horrible thought, mum. So what if something happens to me when I'm giving birth? I said, and I have nothing in place for my children. Like who's going to look after my children? I don't want their father to raise them. I know that's sad, but 
I just, I want them to love learning. I want them to have experiences. I want them to, I want them to travel. I want them to have this amazing life. I said, their their father's not going to give them that. What do I do? Like I just had this massive, what if something happens to me moment. And um, all I could do at that time, because I didn't have much time up my sleeve, was to write a letter and get it signed by Justice of Peace and leave it in a safe place and go from there. Um, so yeah, so then Foxy, um, he, I was, I think I was 38 hours of labor. Um, obviously I had a cesarean with river, but that wasn't because of me. It was because of her. So I was told if I waited two years, um, I should, there should be no harm in or issue with me going naturally. So that was the aim of the game. I wanted to go natural, be walking out of there four hours later and just be getting on with life. (laughs) It went completely the opposite end of that. Yeah. Um, so after 48, 38 hours of labor, um, I was sent in for a cesarean. Um, and I remember saying to them, like, I just felt like the, from the time that I held Fox, from the time that he was taken out and measured and everything was done to the time that I held him, I was just like, this is taking so long. Like, where is my baby? Let me hold my baby. What is happening? So what happened was um, I actually had a condition called placenta um, accreta. So, and this is a, um, it's 0.2%. It it happens in 0.2% of pregnancy. So I was. You were the lucky one. I was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, what happened was my placenta or Fox's placenta had actually embedded into my scar from river and created its own, created its own blood flow. So when they've done the cesarean, they've taken the baby out and they've taken the placenta and weighed it and measured it and looked at it and done everything that they're meant to do, stitched me up and then boom, I just hemorrhaged. Um, And they put the balloon in me to try and stop the hem, like stop the bleeding. Um, I lost, 11.5 11.5 litres of blood all up. I had yep. 16 litres of blood pumped through me. Yep. I think we have like four, our bodies are made up of like four point something percent of blood. And so I lost that nearly three times. As quick uh, as they were putting it in, I was losing it. Yep. Um, they got me to ICU and um, after they put the balloon in and they thought they'd controlled the bleeding, Got me to ICU, got me hooked up to everything. And then the head of the ICU called and said, the surgical team and said, no, you need to get back here now. Like she's still losing blood. Something needs to happen. The head of um, gynecology lives in South Brisbane, which is 40 minutes away from the Ipswich Hospital. He made it in 17 minutes. Shit. So what what should have taken him 40 minutes, mate, he made it in 17 minutes. Yep. Um, they had to perform a hysterectomy to save my life. Um, and I spent three days in a coma. Do you remember that time though, when they, when they took you away and then had to bring you back and whatever, when you were losing blood, had you, were you out of it or had no. you passed out? Yeah. So what happened, um, is from, cause I'm, I remember saying to the guys that had taken, like, cause obviously I'd held Fox and um, they were stitching me up and they were chatting. And I said, I am the worst person for you to be having a good old chat and taking your time. I said, I just want to get out of here and get into the recovery room so I can be with my baby. Can you just hurry up? 
and then I must have just like flatlined, like I was out, just gone, and yep. I don't remember anything. Yep. So, sorry, how long um, were you in a coma for? Three days. Yep. So the next you knew, yeah. like from you'd had your baby, and then it was three days later. Yeah, I I woke up at some stage, um, and I was trying to communicate in the ICU ward, and um, I obviously I didn't remember that I'd had a boy because I wrote on a on a um a whiteboard where baby what have that's all I could get out um and they they told me that I'd had a baby boy and he was fine um and but I don't remember that but that's what they told me um and then I um they were amazing like mum was obviously she's my next of kin um and she was bub obviously got put in the special care nursery because I was and I wasn't able to help him, yep. even though there was nothing wrong with him. He was perfectly fine. So mum was up in the special care nursery with him, giving him cuddles. And they came up and said to mum, listen, we need to perform a hysterectomy to save her life. And mum's like, well, what are you doing here? Like, just go and do it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So then when I woke up, I was, um, I thought I was paraplegic. I yep. wasn't coping at all. Um, they were, like I said, yeah, they were amazing in the ICU ward. They, um, brought the head of the nurse, the head of nurses said, where's this mother's baby? Why isn't this mother's baby with her? And they were like, well, it's ICU ward. We didn't think we were allowed to have babies here. And he was like, we've got no infections. We've got no, no infections. Get that baby here now. And they knew that I wanted to breastfeed. So they pumped me. Um, they had the pumps on me every couple of hours. They had him on my chest and even with, oh, I was hooked up like anything doing skin on skin, um, and everything like that. So they were, yeah, they were amazing. But yeah, like I woke up, I was tied to the bed when I woke up because they were obviously adjusting my dosage to see how I woke. And I was quite, what the fuck's going on basically, as you would be like all the drugs I'd had pumped. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought I was paraplegic because I was in the ICU ward and I could see this person with the big leg thing on next to me. And I was just like, and I couldn't talk. Um, I thought I was in Launceston Hospital. Yeah. And like, I was just completely out of it. Um, so that was on the Sunday when I woke up um, and they wheeled me back to the maternity ward. And, and then it must have been the Monday when all the specialists came and I had social workers and that's my letter made its way out um, obviously then because mum mum said she knew this was going to happen. She knew something was going to happen. She had this this thought that something was going to happen. Um, so that made it to the social workers at the hospital. And, um, yeah, it was a bit of a big deal to be honest too. Like I had all these people coming in and they're like, hi, Brie. And I was like, yeah, they're like, I didn't actually work on you, but I just had to come and see you for myself. Yep. And I was just like, oh, oh, hey, hey. Um, yeah, so it was crazy. And then the Monday came and um, all the specialists came in and they were like, how are you feeling? And they were talking to me about what had happened and what they'd done. And mum had obviously told me, but, um, and then they said, now your mother wasn't allowed to tell you this. But we had to do a hysterectomy to save your life. And I was like, does that mean I'm never going to have my period again? And he was like, yes. And I was like, that's fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, so you're not upset. You're not upset. And I was like, hell no. Like, this is, this is amazing. Like, he was like, oh, my God. He's like, I was so worried about telling you because you're young. 
you know, this, you're that. He's like, all I was worried about was saving your uterus when in actual fact I should have been worrying about saving your life. Yeah. He's like, but you're, you know, and um, yeah. And I was just like, obviously everyone's like, you know, you're okay. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. After the whole thing, I was just like, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm alive. I'm healthy. I have two beautiful children. I'm out of a toxic relationship. Yep. Let's just get on with life. Yep. Let's just let's just do it. Yep. And how is life so, now? It's great. Um, we are we're actually living on the sunny coast at the moment with mum yep. um, because of the way the rental crisis has been. Um, and I'm back playing football, which I was never allowed to play football. I've chopped my hair off. I was never allowed to chop my hair off. I'm doing things I was never allowed to do. Um, yep. You're getting yourself I, back. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm finally seeing the sparkle in my eyes and I'm just that, yeah, that drive. Yep. So it's just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really good. And I don't think we'll leave here. The plan was just to come here for six months and sort ourselves out, but you know, we're making a foundation for ourselves and life's great here. So. So what about like your your goals and plans for the future? Have you sort of sat down and and thought what you want to do? Like come up with a five-year plan or anything like that or? Uh, yeah, so well, I've got a kind of like a three-year plan. So I've just turned yep. 37. So by the time I'm 40, so basically as of August, I'll be completely debt-free, um, bar like when I have to go and start renting and stuff like that. Yep. So my plan by by 40 will be to buy, try and buy a house. Understandably, that's quite hard in this day and age and especially as a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's my big, my biggest goal in life would be to buy a house and just have something stable and set in place for my babies. Um, and obviously finish my study. Um, so I'm at the moment I'm studying children and youth psychology and counseling. Yep. Um, so and that obviously is going to help me with my parenting as well on so many levels. Um, so to finish that and just just be just be happy and just be the best possible version of myself that I can be. Like, yep. you know, I'm setting boundaries in place. I'm about to put a DBO on. I've blocked him on everything. He can only contact me via email now. He's got a different number to call the children on the iPad so he can still video call them. I've been in the process of getting legal aid so we can go to mediation and I can get a parenting order in place and just be in charge because he's been in charge for too long and I'm in charge now. And I'm turning the pages, not him. Yeah. And what do you hope for for your two beautiful kids moving forward? I just hope that they're happy and um, I just hope that they're they're both healthy and happy and that they, I just hope that they don't have to endure too much mental abuse themselves. And that's, that's my, that's always going to be my biggest worry. Always going to be my biggest worry every time they're with their father. You know, like, and that's like I said to him, I said, even you, him bad-mouthing me or bad-mouthing my mother to our children, that is abuse. They don't need to hear that. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, but as long as they're happy, healthy, and just, you know, doing the best that they can, and I'm going to have their back every step of the way. Yeah. I was going to say, they've got a heck of a role model there, mate. So there's got plenty of, plenty of um, learnings that they Thank can take you. from you. And I'm sure, that, I'm sure there's plenty of wisdom you'll be able to impart on them because it's been a hell of a journey, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's only probably yeah, it only sure just has. getting started, really. Like I say, life <laughs> begins at 40. So I'm just like, you know what? This has been the bumpy ride. Now it's just all fun from here on in. Yeah, just roll with it and just um, like I always do, let people in. I don't, I'm such an open book and 
there's I think that's just such an important I understand it's hard for people to communicate sometimes and yeah but yeah I don't I don't think I'll ever close up (laughs) yeah um and and obviously like you say you you're studying to I assume because you want to help people moving forward um and I know that yeah speaking speaking to you um before we caught up for our chat you you have sort of helped a lot of women a lot of women have reached out to you um I know we touched on it before you know the practical things that people can do but if somebody is listening to this it is going through a similar sort of situation um what would you say to them if they contacted you what sort of conversation would you have with them well I suppose it would depend on where they're ready where they're willing to go like um you know some people might just be like oh some people can hold back like they but they you know I was like that at the beginning too like oh no he's just had a bad day rah 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 you know I'm so it would depend on how open that person wanted to be, but I would do everything that I possibly could to to point them in the right direction or just be ears for them, yeah. you know, and to be able to say, honey, he's gaslighting you or honey, that's, you know, he's manipulating you or this or that or this. And honestly, and just not females too. It's, it happens to males. Yeah. Like I've got another male friend who's going through it at the moment. I'm like, dude, I've just been through all of this. Open your eyes. Yeah. This is the same things happening to you. Like, yeah. Yeah, so my book, yeah, always open. If anyone wants to add me on Facey, Breeze or Little John, add me. We can chat. I'm open. I will help anybody any way that I can, even down to the birth stories. Like there's people don't talk about, we hear about all the, oh, yep, it was amazing, baby did this. We don't hear about the bad stuff, Mm. the bad birthing experiences. So. And like I say, like, obviously, I, I commend you on telling your story, mate. And I know that, you know, you are um, keen to, to help people moving forward. And obviously, for, for anyone that is going through a similar sort of situation, you know, the, the key thing is to reach out and talk to someone. So I know that anyone that, that follows you on social yeah. media or Facebook or anything like that, like a lot of your posts, well, pretty much all of them, they're all uplifting. And it's all talking about, you know, you're living your best life now. So I think that you're a, yeah. you know, you're, you're a testament to the fact that it doesn't matter how hard it gets and how dark it gets and how low it gets, you can get through it. And there's always better days. ahead. You can. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Awesome, absolutely. Mate. Awesome. As I say, thanks very much, mate. Firstly, for being interested in coming on and telling your story. It's, it's been a hell of a journey. And um, yeah, I, I just can only just wish you all the best for the future. And I know whatever's whatever's going to happen, mate, it's going to be on your terms. That's for sure. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. And thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat. Big thanks to Bree for coming on the pod. Like I said, it was a real treat to sit down and chat to her and the fact that she reached out to me to come in and actually tell her story in the hope of helping other people is what the pod's all about. So I think that um, Bree's story is one of the, the great stories that just shows that it doesn't matter how dark things get in life, everyone's strong enough to get through it and there are always better days ahead. So hang in there and there's help available for you. And anyone that wants to chat to Bree directly, she's more than happy for you to reach out to her on socials. Also, keep listening to the pod for the numbers for helplines that will be able to help anyone that wants to have a chat. We'll talk to you next time. For anyone out there having their own struggles who wants to have a chat to someone, you can call Lifeline on 131114 or you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636.